kind of Dharma talk. Really wonderful to sit together like that at the end of a day. Um, I come here once, maybe twice a year, and uh, uh, I'm always amazed at the turnouts on Wednesday nights. Uh, even more amazed at the turnout on this Wednesday night uh, when there's no place to park. Uh, I had this tremendous guilt attack when I pulled in and there was a cleaned off spot with a cone, right, waiting for me. I said, can I really take this? Um, it's, it's really quite a, quite a tribute to, to people's practice and to the community here that, you know, you show up on a night like this. Um, the, um, uh, the talk that I uh, had planned to give may actually end up be the being the talk I actually give. I, I am never quite sure. Uh, we have to give these titles months in advance. And I simply refuse to give a talk that's not fresh. Uh, so what was fresh, you know, a few months ago could be totally, you know, a complete yawn uh, at this point. Um, the, uh, the talk that was listed uh, on the website was, uh, what is it that binds you? And I actually can't remember if, if that's what I said the talk was, or I said, who is it that binds you? Uh, it comes from a, a collection of, of uh, teaching stories, parables, uh, from the Japanese uh, Zen tradition. Uh, the, the collection is called the Denko Roku. It uh, translates as the transmission of light. And it's stories uh, of the transmission of the Dharma from teacher to teacher in the, in the Zen tradition, uh, starting with the Buddha and moving through uh, what are called the seven ancient Buddhas of, of India uh, into China and so on and then into Japan. It's interesting partly because most of this stuff is completely made up. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've seen just recently the uh, archaeological uh, dig in Nepal in Lumbini, and there's some suggestion that, at least when it was first coming out, that it, it has the potential to bump the Buddha's birth date back two to three hundred years. Uh, and uh, who cares? <laughs> I mean, I've heard Larry say on more, more than one occasion, if the Buddha never existed, does it really matter? You know, I mean, we've got this amazing uh, body of teaching that's evolved over a couple of thousand years, longer than that, and uh, with the operating instructions of, Road test it, check it out. You know, don't just take it at face value, uh, but really try it out and test it. And if it stands uh, the test for my life or your life, then keep working with it. Uh, so there are, you know, interesting things about lineage and when the Buddha was born and who his mom and dad were and did he have issues and, you know, that sort of stuff as far as I'm concerned, pretty irrelevant in terms of living a life of some meaning, quality, and hopefully reducing suffering. So uh, 
I'll just read you very quickly this, this little story. Um, like many of these, these so-called cases, it has a wonderfully happy ending. Uh, so the, 20, the 31st patriarch, uh, Zen master Dayi, uh, bowed to the great master Jiangzhu and said, I beg the priest in his great compassion to give me the teaching of liberation. The patriarch replied, so who's binding you? And this student said, well, no one is binding me. The patriarch answered, and why are you seeking liberation? With these words, the student was greatly awakened. You know, we, for years I, I read stories like that and had this combination of, I want that, and how come it was so easy for them, and it's so hard for me. Uh, a lot of this stuff is shorthand, um, and we've all had some experience of a kind of ripeness, you know, where you know the wind blows, the car backfires, uh, someone says something to us at the right tone of voice at the right time, and something just opens up for us. It's it's not it's not something we can explain, you know. There's a readiness where life meets life, and something opens up. Um, and a little story like this can have tremendous uh, uh, potential to, to open up our life and our practice. Uh, and the heart of a, of a story like this has to do with inquiry. Uh, it's one of the uh, 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 factors of awakening uh, that the Buddha talks about, investigation, the spirit of investigation. It's a kind of naturally arising interest that uh, if we begin to pay any attention to our life uh, at all, certain questions begin to, to come up. Uh, how did I get here? I mean, how did we, each of us, get here? Oh, I got in the car, I drove through traffic, you know, uh, and then I got out of the car and I went, that's how I got here. Oh, how about go deeper? How did I get here? And when I look back over the course of my life, and I'm, I'm guessing it's no different for, for all of you, it's, it's really a mystery. How, why, I'm sitting here tonight, and these words are coming out of my mouth. You know, I grew up in a small town in Indiana, in southern Indiana, in a family that would have uh, I think made any reasonably normal human being quite crazy, <laughs> quite crazy. Uh, and stumbled into the Dharma when I was a senior in high school. I mean, literally stumbled into it. A friend of mine had gone to Japan, came back with a first degree black belt in Judo, started a Judo club in high school. I joined the club. He starts talking about Zen. I go to the library. I find a book. And I, wow. Wow. And, you know, it's been, I was sort of ruined from that moment on uh, in the most wonderful, mysterious way. And we, we've all had those, those 
uh, moments that bump our lives uh, in ways that are really quite, quite not understandable or explainable by rational thought. And so these questions begin to arise. You know, who am I? Why, why can't I control these thoughts that <clears throat> come to my mind? How is it that nobody can predict the next thought that's going to come up in their mind? Right? If you think you own your mind, check that out. Right? Well, I own this body. I walk around in it. I take good care of it. And then at some point, we begin to get the sense uh, that no matter how well I take care of it, no matter how well I exercise it, feed it, supplement it, uh, it's got a life of its own. Uh, if I owned this thing, you'd be looking at somebody with close to 67 years of chronological time on the planet Right? In roughly a 40-ish year old body, it doesn't seem to work that way. Right? So in what sense you know, is this my mind? In what sense is this my body? What does that mean? What is this I, this me, that, that takes ownership for this? The Buddha talks about suffering and freedom from suffering. And he points to the, to the sort of central culprit in uh, suffering being this uh, sense of me, mine, I. Right? And, and says quite literally, we're not what we think we are. That there's a, that there's a deep misperception around that, that arising of I that we refer to all the time. I mean, it'd be interesting to put a, you know, you, they've got these things that count your steps during the day, right? It'd be really interesting to have one that counts the number of times internally and externally we use the word I or me or mine. And, and how often do human beings question, who is that? What is that? I mean, usually if you ask somebody, well, who are you? They'll say, oh, I'm Doug. What's that mean? I mean, that's the, that's the label, that's the tag that I got put on when I was in the hospital so my parents got out of the place with the right kid. Right? And then there's been a tremendous amount of, it's almost like a magnet, and it attracts all these, these experiences and takes ownership of them. You know, right from the get-go, it's like, oh, you're, you're really happy, Doug. You seem really happy today. You're a happy kid. Right? Until, you know, 15 minutes later, and gosh, you've been crying so much. You seem so, you, why are you so unhappy? Well, which am I? Am I happy? Am I sad? Right? Then, then, oh, you're just, you're really difficult. I really don't understand you. Well, now I'm somebody who's difficult and incomprehensible. Oh, you're really, you're really pretty, or you're really handsome, or you're really smart. And it's like this I thing, which goes virtually unexamined, attracts all of these conditionings. And, and what we have left with is this strongly felt sense of self. 
and it's it's a pretty important thing. Right? I mean, if if Bob's walking down the street, and you know he passes somebody and says, "Morning, Bob," and Bob kind of gives a dazed look, you know, and and doesn't respond, that's a problem. You know, if I try and go out into the parking lot and get in one of your cars tonight, that's a problem, right? I go home and go into the house next door, that's a problem. Right? So there's there's a set there's a there's a real importance in 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 uh, um, a social interaction, in the construct of a culture, of society, where this this sense of of me is really important. <coughs> And if we grow up in a way that that doesn't form, that we don't form attachments, you know, in, in, in psychotherapy, we see that that results in, in attachment disorders. They're extremely difficult to treat. Right? Because a person is, has grown up without that deep connection, without an attachment. So how are they going to attach enough to a therapist to do work or anybody else for that matter? Right? So it's, it's critical to know boundaries, where I start and stop. Right? I mean, teachers in the Dharma get in, can get into all kinds of problems around really believing that they are a teacher. That's who they are. And they have some special place. You know, it's, it's really seductive to, you know, to sit down on a seat like this and, you know, it's a little raised. Right? Already a problem. Already a problem. Oh, it's being recorded? Ah, now it's even more of a problem. Because you know, I've got to be really careful about what I say. I've got to protect my image. I've got to protect CIMC, and so on and so on. Right? And boundary issues become problematic. And we've seen that a lot in, in the Zen tradition in America. Partly because there's such a, such a overt separation and distance between teachers and students. Right? Teachers wear special clothes, they carry special ritual implements, they get secret Dharma transmission you know, at the end of a retreat and then it's revealed the next day. All kinds of stuff that, that, that really make a distance between so-called teachers and so-called students. And, I, and it's, it can be difficult to step in and out of that role. Right. Okay, so I'm sitting up here, I'm occupying the teacher's seat. Right. When I get off of this, I'm no longer in the teacher's seat. Right. Oh, and by the way, you want to know how the teacher's doing? Check with the people they're living with. Check with their significant others. <coughs> because often, there's, there's an image that comes across. Right. And that can be very different when, when you're sitting in the role of the teacher. That's an image. Right? And no matter how, how much one works, whether it's in psychotherapy or in meditation interviews, it's that, that difference is there. It can be tremendously valuable. And buyer beware, it can be very tricky on both sides. And it all revolves around this who, I. Who am I? Now the Buddha said, that's a dead-end question. Don't go there. 
You know, it's really down the rabbit hole. And part of the reason for that is that which has created this, uh, this I and all of these conditionings, identify, identifications, images that constitute this I, that's what's being used to figure out what the I is. You with me? Okay. That the very tool that's creating the difficulty is being used to solve the difficulty it created. Okay. It's not to say that thinking doesn't have a useful place. It's a survival skill. And beyond that, it can bring great, great joy and wonder. And when it comes to thinking, trying to solve the problems that thinking has created, it's not working out very well. You know, all we have to do is pick up a newspaper. Right? That, the, that the problem that gets created, then the solution that gets evolved creates further problems that thinking can't foresee. And so on and on it goes. So when the Buddha said, don't go down that rabbit hole, that's, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the Buddha was referring to. That's my take on what my experience points to as to what his warning was about. Right? How many people in here know the name Ramana Maharshi? I, I, I can, I, right, I, I, I know when I've passed a certain age boundary, like 15 years ago, I would ask that every hand in the room would have gone up, right? Uh, same thing has to do with different songs, but that's a whole different story. Ramana Maharshi was a, uh, um, considered to be a fully realized uh, saint uh, of modern India. We won't go down the road of what fully realized means. That's a whole different Dharma talk. Um, lived in Tamil Nadu in, in southern India uh, and uh, uh, taught much of his time in silence. His whole method, or much of his method, was around inquiry. The question, who am I? People often misinterpreted that as trying to figure out who I am which takes us down the rabbit hole the Buddha said, don't go down. Right? Because it just it goes round and round and round and round and there's really no way out of that. The question who is an opportunity to turn attention back to that place where thought arises. Right? If you've ever been uh, caught up in thinking, that moment of, of waking up out of that and that happened hundreds of times during the sitting in here tonight. Right? I get that little pedometer thing again. I mean, I lost count. Uh, th that's what we do, though, right, as human beings. We fall asleep, we wake up, we fall asleep, we wake up. We're driving down the street. You know, our mind's in, you know, wherever our mind likes to go. And then there's a waking up out of that. You know, we're sitting nicely focused on the breath or just sitting openly and all of a sudden there's a waking up out of thought. I didn't choose, okay let's see, I'm going to take about five minutes and drift off into thinking. Right? 
And then at the end of five minutes, I'm going to wake back up again. But what do we say? We say, oh, I drifted off. Oh, I woke up. And if we really look at that, we see that thought is tremendously misleading and inaccurate around its description of what's actually happened. In fact, there's just been a falling asleep. And in fact, there's just been a waking up. And there's been nobody there doing that. And that's just one small example we can track throughout the day to begin to, to play a little bit with this I, me, mine. Right? So who is it or what is it that binds us? What is it or who is it that creates the narrow spaces in our lives, these constrictions that we all experience around anger, fear, uh, discontent, getting what we don't want, not getting what we want, you know, avoiding that which is unpleasant, trying to hang on to that which is pleasant. I mean, we're doing that all the time. Much of our life consists of zigzagging between, you know, trying to get away from what's pleasant and staying with what's, uh, tr trying to get away from what's unpleasant and staying with what's pleasant. It's a marvelous practice just to track that through the day. And, and watch that and watch the consequences of that because it's conditioned, it's reactivity, and it's, we're on automatic pilot. And one of the benefits of practice is it begins to slow things down enough that we begin to see these things that the I takes ownership of. It, sorry. And then, of course, beats itself up about, right? Oh, there I go again. You know, I'm just an angry guy. Or there I go again, I'm drifting off. You know, am I never, not ever going to get this right? I don't think that's me. <laughs> Good. Uh, just want to see if you're paying attention. Um, so the you know that I'm now going to sit and I'm going to focus on my breath, and when I drift off, then I'm a bad meditator. And the fact that we woke up out of that gets very little credit because the mind backfills almost immediately. There's the moment of waking up, which, by the way, is awakening. It's not something you've got to find, you know, four lifetimes down the road. It's happening all the time. All you've got to do is watch out for it. <laughs> you know, begin to recognize it. Okay. So falling asleep happens. Waking up happens. There's that moment of complete clarity, complete wholeness. Nothing lacking. And then the mind jumps in. Oh. There I go again. You know, I was supposed to stay on the breath. And so the, the, what happens is thinking is set in a completely unattainable goal. I'm going to stay on the breath continuously. I'm going to practice continuous mindfulness. It's simply not possible. That's not what we are as human beings. Now we can we can end up tilting, I think towards more wakefulness. 
but I, I've not seen anybody, I don't care what they say or how long they've practiced, that doesn't get caught in, the, in human stuff. You know, this practice will not, uh, there's, it doesn't give us an escape hatch from being human. It, it certainly hasn't for me, and I've not seen anybody who sits in the teacher's seat for whom that's true. And, and quite the opposite, I think. Uh, it, it often tilts teachers in the direction of an image that is, is challenged by their daily reality. And so then how do I, how as a teacher do I sit up in front of a bunch of people and own that? That's not an easy thing to do for, for, for many, many quote unquote teachers. So this I is, is creating these problems and then attempting to solve them or berating us, criticize, criticizing itself. You know, I'm criticizing me. I mean, how many of them are in there? I mean, if you just start with that, what is up with that? I don't, I don't like this about me. Right? But that very rarely gets looked at. Just stopping with that much begins to create a little bit of space around something that's got an enormous amount of momentum, which often we don't really give credit to. You know, we've, we've uh, as human beings, been conditioned for millennium. As individual human beings, we've been conditioned for as long as we've been, you know, out of our moms. And that conditioning is reflexive. Uh, it's, as, it's as deeply as conditioned as if, if a loud noise happens, you can't stop the startle reflex. You cannot do that. Uh, and there, there are, you hit, hit the arm, it's going to jerk. There's a reflex there. You can't not have that happen. What practice helps us do is to begin to, to create a space around that where we can learn from it. You know, we begin to learn that, you know, I can actually make this worse for myself and everybody around me by taking uh, ownership of that. And then I can create an equal amount of, of problems by saying, oh, I didn't do it, so I'm not responsible for cleaning up the mess that was created. <coughs> right? Neither one of those work very well. So it's this, it's this interesting uh, balance between choicelessness and no responsibility. And much of practice is uh, helping us get better at cleaning up after these reflexive messes that we make. Learning to understand what happens more deeply. And the more that, that these things are uh, reflected in awareness, I mean, you've, if you've practiced at all, you've noticed when, when awareness or mindfulness uh, touches something, something happens. There's a shift. 
waking this these spontaneous moments of waking up something happens in the mind and the body and so what we're doing is there's a practice gives us a second level of conditioning okay we've got the the conditioning we come to practice with and then we're offered a kind of meta structure a second order of conditioning right breath awareness koan study mindful walking uh, looking at the, how we're reflected back to ourselves in the mirror of relationship and learning about our mind in that way. Right? All of these skillful means, meta-practice, these skillful means to begin to create a different, we use a different aspect of the mind to work on this conditioning. It's still conditioned. It's still conditioned. It's a healthier, a much healthier form of conditioning that can open into uh, what's called the unconditioned. Much of this work has to do with who, who's creating the suffering? How is this happening? Taking a real interest. You know, the, the Buddha talked about understanding, literally standing under our suffering. And when I, when I sometimes say to people, we really have to become connoisseurs of our own suffering, I get this sort of, you know, like, really? Don't I suffer enough? Yeah, you do. So do I. <laughs> Plenty. The question is, can I understand it enough? Can I stand under it enough to learn by being in relationship to it? And I learn by being in relationship to it how it operates. Because it's not what I think it is. It never is. And so the, this, this koan, when you know, the question is, so who is it that binds you? I mean, that's a, that's a profoundly deep question. And in this story, you know, who knows how long this person, you know, had done hard practice on the cushion. I mean, we're, we're, this is like, I remember somebody called, called uh, CIMC the club med of meditation centers once. You know, and this, this was in the old space. Right? Uh, you know, we've got, we've got air conditioning in the summer, we've got heat you know, in the winter, you know, we've got running water, we've got indoor toilets, we've got lights we can turn up and down, we've got sound systems, I mean, wow. Uh, and our practice is about none of that. About none of that. There were a number of us in, in the room that went through discomfort tonight while we were sitting. And the, and the reason that I said, look, sit without moving for five minutes. That's a really useful way to see how this reactivity happens and how it drives us. I mean, sitting still without moving for five minutes is no small thing for a lot of us. And then you can begin to extend that. It's like, okay, I usually sit for 20 minutes a day. Let me extend it a couple of times a week to 25 minutes or 30 minutes. If I sit for 40 or 45, a couple of times a week, let me bump it up a little bit. Or if I'm really I'm sitting, you know, every day, an hour a day, sometimes twice a day, 
skip a day. Yeah, skip a day and see what happens. We become so habituated to any sort of form that it, it's easy for that form, regardless of what it is, to cover up aspects of us that need to be looked at. Right? It's easy for us to unwittingly hide out in our practice. You know, we can hit a, we can hit a zone of comfort, you know, whether it's daily practice or retreat practice, and we kind of can hide out in there. You know, concentration practice is a, is a prime culprit in that. We need a certain amount of, you know, concentration energy in order to see or to look deeply into this stuff. And it can be very seductive and feel really great, you know, to just hit that button, drop down into deep samadhi, and hang out there. Right? And then, you know, somebody cuts us off in traffic, or we're rushing through, you know, evening traffic to lead the 6.45 sit, you know, and watching the edge of my samadhi Right, go. Right? Oh, so there's the mind. There's my practice. Right there. You know, a teacher named Joko Beck said, "We the, the edge of our practice is never a mystery. It's never a mystery. It's right at that edge of I don't want this. I don't like this. Make this go away. Give me, give me more. I don't like you. I don't think you like me." There's the edge, right? And it takes a certain amount of concentration, the ability to concentrate the mind, to see it, to stop, and to stay with it. And, and that's really much of what we're developing in this sort of second order of conditioning, the ability to stop and stay with something. Right? As I said in my little talk, we're, we're always cultivating reactivity. Always. Okay. So when we sit down, what we're looking to cultivate is stability of mind and body so that we've got, a, we've got a context, we've got a frame, we've got a container that we can begin to skillfully work with our life in. Okay. So if we're sitting down and we're moving around a lot, what we're cultivating is reactivity. And the other side to that is you can make yourself rigidly insane and really miserable by sitting through anything. You know, it's like, I will not move. I'll die on my cushion. What bullshit. Right? I mean, that's just, that's the other side. Right? The middle way is slippery. It's like run along an ice ridge. You know, and the beauty of the practice is the moment there's a waking up from sliding down the ice ridge, we're right back on it again. That moment of clear seeing is the moment of rebalancing. It's, it's really quite amazing. And it's not dependent on me and I. So who is it that, that wakes up? Who is it that suffers? Who is it that binds me? What is it that binds me? That's a question that each of us in this, in, on this path are called to address seriously, to take deep interest in, because it's the key to freedom. It's the key to freedom.
And freedom from what? Freedom from the tight spaces that thinking creates. It's created by wanting something to be other than it is. Right? The, the, the correlation between suffering and freedom is the difference between how it is and how I want it to be. Right? That doesn't mean, oh, I should now want it the way it is. No. We don't get there without stopping here and noticing what it is that makes for that split. And it almost always has to do with this unexamined uh, I or me. And in that moment, in that moment of clear seeing, who is binding us? Nobody. In that moment of waking up from you know, the dream of our thinking, the fantasy of past or, or future, in that moment, that's OK. You can cough. Well, <laughs> I was just saying you didn't have to leave if you didn't need to. Um, in that moment of you know, waking up, there is no me. There is no I. And in that moment, we're free. And then, you know, we have a sudden awakening and people write about us and things like this. Um, or not. Okay, those of you who have heard uh, me ramble on enough, uh, feel free to head for the doors. Um, and uh, it's been uh, great to have you in the room and sit with you. And those who want to hang out for a while, um, we'll talk for a little bit. And feel free to just stand and stretch if you want to stay for a little bit. That's fine, too. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.